Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friend. All right, friend. <laughs> it's been a while. I don't remember how to do this, Jonathan. Leave me alone. Okay, <laughs> we're about to do the wrap-up, but before you hear Jonathan giggle some more... You, d- Get see, ready for you, some awesome. I before. I didn't know we were recording. Okay. Most of the now, time, just, when people make just, egregious mistakes stop. right out of the gate, I'm, they start Okay, over. leave me alone. All right. First, we're going to hear from Dan Bouchelle, uh, and then Jonathan is going to make his victorious return to the podcast after many months off. So here is Dan Bouchelle. All right, friends, today we have our friend Dan Bouchelle from Missions Resource Network. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thanks. It's great to be with you. I, I'm sure it's Dr. Bouchelle, so I'm sorry. I just went with the Dan being so casual here. We'll make it professional. Uh, n- nobody cares. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, so... Tell me, tell me what you're most excited about that MRN is doing these days. Oh, man, it's hard, it's hard to focus on one thing. But really, the Mediterranean Rim Initiative has to be the thing that rises to the surface just because it's such a dramatic work of God in the world right now. Uh, and we, we began to recognize uh, a couple years ago that God was doing something unprecedented in the Islamic world, particularly around the Mediterranean coming out of uh, the Arab Spring and all of the, the wars and the revolutions around North Africa and the Middle East, and then this humanitarian crisis of people moving into Europe from uh, those Middle Eastern Asian countries. Uh, it, it's all this bad news. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in the news every night, terrorism, all this kind of stuff. What most Americans don't realize is God is using that to draw people to him, and people who have for 1,400 years been in countries that were essentially unaccessible to the gospel, are really asking about Jesus and seeking Jesus, both in their home countries and as they move into Europe. So we've we've really embraced the call to see the gospel and Jesus promoted among people who are seeking him mm-hmm. and uh, mobilized and drawn churches in and training workers, recruiting and training workers to to work with refugees from a Muslim background in Europe and then locating hubs for disciple-making uh, in North Africa and the Middle East. Wow. And, I mean, this is, this is probably bigger than the fall of the Berlin Wall and the opening up of the Eastern Bloc just because um, communism was a 70-year thing, really, mm-hmm. and we're talking about a 1,400-year thing. Wow, and we're we're talking about 1.2 billion people, uh, 86% of whom have never met a Jesus person, and have wow. no access to the gospel at all. And so, you know, the people like the Crescent Project and those who've been working with Muslim background people for a long time are saying more Muslims have come to Jesus in the last 20 years than the 1400 years preceding it combined. This is a moment, um, and. It seems like um, at least half or more of the people that we meet in Europe and that others are working with uh, who come from that background report having visions and dreams of Jesus along the way or while they're there. You just hear these dramatic yeah. stories. It's, it's quite something. So, yeah, we've got, we've got teams in the pipeline. We've got teams in the field. It's, it's just a huge deal. We're, we're looking for people who want to be a part of that. That sounds outstanding. Uh, for us Jesus people, we, we want the world to know Jesus. And some of us, church leaders back in the States or wherever, we think we, we want to be a part of this. We don't really know what we can do. How, how can Missions Resource Network get us connected to this type of work and, and how we can participate? 
Uh, well, there are multiple ways that you can do that. One, we've, we're asking churches to partner with us uh, to do this. We've got 10 churches currently that are, but we need more. And, and they provide a, a little bit of financial resources to us. But then we have formed out of them a coalition of churches that meet on a quarterly basis uh, with a video conference and meet annually with leaders. Uh, and they're helping us develop the resources, recruit and train the people, but then asking them to provide support for the workers who are going to the field. We're trying to recruit workers out of their churches um, and when when people capture a vision and understand what God is doing in the world, people just spring up from within these churches and say, I feel called to go. Mm-hmm. And when a family rises up to say, we feel called to go, then their church all of a sudden says, well, we want to help you go. Uh, and so part of it is we'd like to get in your churches and tell the story of what God's doing in the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would be interested in helping you kind of reshape your vision to how do we be a part of that while not just dropping what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, how can we be a part of joining what God is already doing at this critical moment in history? So this is where the work that we do in helping churches uh, assess their visions and set their visions for what God is calling them to do joins what we're doing in terms of the recruiting, training, and sending side. Um, so you, so you, you're mobilizing churches. You're equipping missionaries as they're going into the field. So you both sides of the coin, right? Like that's right. Churches. That's right. And and we're the the teams that we're training. We're helping them find people on the ground who already have a platform in a country that has access to this population. And we're adding to that platform people who can disciple these people who are coming to Christ and identify and equip leaders who can plant churches for Muslim background people. Uh, there's a ton of humanitarian aid going on, and there are people who are setting up access ministries or platforms to reach them. But they're so overwhelmed with just caring for the humanitarian needs, they're building a lot of goodwill toward Jesus. A lot of people are interested in Jesus, and people who make initial commitments to follow Jesus, but they don't have the the resources and the people to really disciple these people well, to really mm-hmm. equip them to understand what does it mean to be a Jesus follower, to then, as they move on deeper into Europe or as they are trying to live out in a in a context where you can't just plant churches because it's illegal in this country, uh, where they have the ability to lead and initiate new things um, and really sustain movements to Christ. So um, that's what we're trying to do is connect the dots, do the networking, cast the vision, identify the workers, uh, train people who can be raised up from within the harvest to continue this so it's not just dependent on outsiders. That's great. So what's the best way uh, for someone to get a hold of you if they want to get connected and learn more about this? Uh, they can go to, uh, the first thing I do is go to uh, medrim.org, M-E-D-R-I-M, medrim.org, and just put in an email address uh, and your name, and you'll join the prayer ministry. We're mobilizing people to be in prayer about this. You'll get a weekly email telling you kind of what's going on, keeping you updated in the status. And then you can email me, dan.shell at mrnet.org, or just go to our website, uh, mrnet.org, Uh, and send us an email there, Uh, um, contact anyone who works here, uh, and just tell them, hey, we're interested to know more about this. Uh, And we would love to talk with you uh, about that. That's great, and appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, Churches across the world, uh, churches from our denomination, the Church of Christ, which is not a denomination, but we know what we're saying. Absolutely. Uh, And multiple other different traditions. It's great that you're bringing uh, all these people to participate in the work that God is doing throughout the world. So, Appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks. Thanks. This is bigger than any of us, but we all need to be involved with what God's doing. So thank you. Right on. 
Well, Jonathan, some awesome again. Yeah, just say say it again. Do it. Go all the way. Get ready for some awesome. There it is. All right, Jonathan. It's been a long time. We've um, we've missed you. It's been. I've I've missed you specifically. I've missed the sense of the the calling I have to speak into your life um, (laughs) and point out things. Well, I really feel like nobody else is pointing out. I'm first of all, I'm glad you're just able to do this. I know that it's been about three months. You guys had to call in some special people from Verizon, I think, to actually hardwire the internet (laughs) into uh, Arkansas. So that was really exciting that they finally did that. We actually had to use that Tesla uh, technology (laughs) that uh, it actually comes directly from space to go right in. There's actually just this long extension cord to a space shuttle to get. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome. Go on. No. Yeah, thanks. No, it's exactly. I'm, I'm glad you to do this. We have actually done this in Arkansas several times before. Like when we do holiday stuff, November and December, mm-hmm. you goof. One of the things that I love is that I actually have family from Arkansas. And I, I mean. <laughs> I, I love making fun of people don't connect the dots like I actually my my dad's side of the family has Arkansas in it but whatever anyway I love Arkansas okay this stinks my internet is starting to slow down <laughs> we're talking right now like, come on man that is uh, that's fitting all right like the there universe you go. is conspiring with your dumb joke no it's not a dumb joke it's a good joke um well how many sermons have you done now in Arkansas at Pleasant Valley uh, I've done four so far. Okay, so how many of those were good? <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd say I've probably reached, a, um, in the good thing, I've probably done a year's worth of Norsworthy. <laughs> <laughs> how how long till you do the Christians Make the Best Atheists series again? Are, are you just walking around your house? Are you, like- oh, I won't do the series. I- I'm trying to get good internet. I'm at mom and dad's house. My dad had surgery last week, and he's uh, it's back surgery, so he's kind of hurting. And if I go downstairs, you know, people don't need to know this. I'm just trying to get good internet. I mean, I feel like the jokes are writing themselves. Like Jonathan, first time doing the podcast as a Arkansas resident again, and we're three minutes in, and you still don't have good internet. What? Um, okay, this is good. I'm going to read. A, do you, are you? Can you hear me now, Jonathan? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. I received a nice letter, and I'm not going to say who it's from because uh, they didn't give me permission, but it's from a listener in Oregon. And this was a, an actual letter. It's like it's in my hand. I received a letter. And I want to uh, read just a s- snippet of it. And uh, what I call my dot-to-dot journey led me to your podcast. At first, I didn't understand your unfamiliar humor, especially with Jonathan Stormont, but I kept listening like an addiction I feel like that's right on. I mean, I think that humor... She's Unfamiliar re- is humor, especially with Jonathan. I think she's referring... Like, my humor is familiar, but it becomes unfamiliar when you're there. I think that's what the sentence was trying to communicate. Isn't unfamiliar just a way to say strange? Yeah, I, I think it's she's right. Strange no, you're not sense under- of humor. She's referring to you. That's what she's saying. Okay, but no. now that I understand the Enneagram, I understand better... Um, blah blah blah. It, this is not blah. Like it's important. Okay, but here's the, here's the serious. <laughs> That's why you don't want to say. Her. No. Blah blah blah. No, she said dumb stuff, and then she said nice stuff again. 
Okay, just all right. I haven't read the letter. I know. I, can I just get to the part I was trying to get to? It's very important stuff. This is a meaningful letter to me, and I'm reading it. Um, I'm writing to thank you for helping me heal from a very traumatic moment in my youth. My being drawn into your podcast found your welcoming curiosity to everyone without losing your job, LOL, rather different than my family's Church of Christ exposure. While I was raised in the Baptist church, a decision my father made for his kids and my mom, he was never Baptist. After more than two years of listening to every newsworthy episode, I had a a recognized moment of healing. I remember that one day... My great uncle on his knees next to my father's chair was pounding on the Bible screaming, you were going to hell for attending the Baptist church. I was just a child. This wasn't the only religious or emotional trauma I experienced, but a big one. Recently, a light came on in my head and my heart. And the reason I found comfort in your weekly words, questions, interviews, laughter was from my own personal healing from the church of Christ I feared so much. Wow. Isn't that hum- like that? I mean, that's what we're. That's tr- really cool. I think that's what we're trying to do. Like, yeah. One of the reasons that continue to say I'm from the Church of Christ is because I feel, and, and you say this, and you do the same thing, is because we want people to see that there is a different way. And, and so often when, when I, when you say I'm from the Church of Christ and you're talking to someone outside, there's almost like a, Okay, let's do the first five minutes where we uh-huh. disprove what you think about all Church of Christ people because the way that we in the Church of Christ have earned a reputation for ourselves. And yep. I, I, I'm very humbled that we, you and I, and others can help be a part of that process for this um, kind person who listens to the podcast. So that's very meaningful. Yeah. That, that means a lot. And I'm, I'm grateful that our sister up in Oregon has had that. Um, uh, you know, Jonathan Martin has some... Uh, a bit, I think it's in prototype, or maybe it was in no, it was in prototype where he talks about um, the reason that he keeps he kept on saying that he was Pentecostal was because you have to. The reason you want to be non-denominational is because you don't want to own the sins of your forefathers. Yep, and part of part of it you've got to. I mean, it, you're going to make mistakes too. We're going to make mistakes. And the next generation is going to have to come along and say, well, we're not like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I, he said that on the podcast that we did uh, down in Houston at the Praxis Conference. And I remember saying that. And I, that's one of the reasons why I still think keeping denominational names, while it probably excludes visitors from wanting to come to your church, to be honest, uh, yeah. I think it's good for the church's soul to, to say, this is who we were, this is where it came from. Yep. Tone up to it. Well, even it, these days, even non-denominationals are denominational. I mean, like, yeah. it's just like personality, like it was originally. In every denomination, it starts with a personality, right? So John Wesley or Alexander Campbell or whatever. And these days, the, the names uh, are, are changing. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, uh, it's Piper versus... Um, you know, everyone has so. a tradition where you're coming from. The idea of someone truly being not yeah. tied to any tradition. I mean, that's just... When you told me you were going to read a letter, I really didn't know it was going to be such a like Let me, actual meaningful letter. I thought it was going to be no, it's, a buddy we went to college with. No, I'm busting our chops. No, no, I just, I thought I would share that with you. I thought it was pretty a uh, pretty nice thing. So, uh, okay, so since we're on a serious note, this is the first time we've done a wrap up since your daughter Audrey was yeah. uh, almost you thought for what, like a day or two. Yeah, it looked like she had leukemia, right? Yeah. I, the story is I was actually at uh, in Abilene at uh, your old stomping grounds and Lindsay. You're like this 
first Sunday after I left. Yeah, which that was preaching. That was pretty outstanding. My uh, my opening joke, by the way, I think did really well. My uh-huh. uh, <laughs> should I say it again? Did you forget the joke was? Some people might have forgotten it. <laughs> I think you're going to say it no matter what I say next. Yeah, that's so true. That is true. Uh, I said that. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Highland has been a church that's on the vanguard. They're out front. They're, they're the lead horse in our denomination on many things. So it makes sense that their preacher would be the size of a jockey. <laughs> Boy, I feel sorry for the horse that I was jockeying. I'm a little too heavy for a jockey. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I was out your old stomping grounds and uh, Avery and Adeline, my two oldest daughters, came out with me because Audrey wasn't feeling good, but we assumed it was just like a fever, uh, nothing too substantial. And so Lindsay stayed home with our youngest. I'm driving back uh, that afternoon into Austin, about an hour outside of town. Lindsay calls me and says, hey, don't be worried. Uh, we haven't been able to get Audrey's fever down. It's kind of gotten a little bit higher, so I'm going to take her into Dell Children's. But don't worry, just come home with the girls and, and I'll be back later tonight. And so I drive in, I'm concerned, of course, but I'm just thinking it's a virus, it's something. Well, I get there and she says, you need to, actually, I'm on the phone with you. We were, we were mm-hmm. on the phone talking and she calls and I think I hang up with you and she says, you got to come in here right now. My mom's coming over to watch the girls. And so we go up there and we start doing the test and uh, this nice doctor walked in and said, yeah, we've been running tests to see if she has leukemia and all of them are pointing to that right now. And so we're going to... Um, stomach just drops. Yeah, it just. It, it, did you go numb? Did you did you just kind of get go into shock mode there, or did you? Yeah, it just went. Yeah, and they're talking over my head because Lindsay can have right. They can do shorthand. Yeah, they can do this technical conversations that I, I, like I just can't get into. And so I'm hey, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. Tell me and what you're this, not that smart. Yeah, that's funny. And so I'm having to get them to recap and come back and tell me what these things are meaning. And it's funny, in the book, I, I tell a story about when you and I were in Tennessee to do the interview with N.T. Wright, and Lindsay says, hey, Adeline's going to get the first round of tests for leukemia. Usually, they would just call it a test, but you know, since I'm a nurse, they told me what it is. And so I thought, oh, this is just another like, you know, red, uh, like a false warning. And so I'm not going to worry about it. And then I saw Lindsay's reaction, and she didn't have mm. any of the same, hey, it's just a test. It's going to be okay. But it was... It was... Because it was more than just one test, too, right? Yeah, and so... There was, like... Yeah, a couple rounds of them, and and then... Yeah, I mean, so my daughter was in the oncology department, uh, Dell Children's, for two nights, and the first one... Uh, so Sunday night, we go in, and then we, we go home for some reason. They said, we're going to... The doctor's going to call you back with tests. And at that point, I still had some optimism, like, okay, this is just going to be another one. Well, we wake up in the morning... Lindsay wakes me up and goes, hey, the doctor's called. We need to come in right now. And at that point, like all optimism just vanished because I was expecting, okay, they'll they'll call us at our leisure to come in. But they said, first thing, we don't know why you went home from the hospital. You need to come in right now and take this test. And I I was driving down 183 and I remember just, I I, I started playing that song, uh, I Need Thee, like Matt Mayer version or whatever the name is. Mm -hmm. Because I was just... I, I I need I need you in this moment, God, to get through this. And we get there, and we stay overnight. It's there's nothing to explain. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. It was just overwhelming. Yeah. And the thing that's heartbreaking for me is that 
we were there as visitors in someone else's reality because we were there for a day, or mm. two days, and like this is reality. But I know others, like people in my church, who the exact same situation, and they didn't get the news we right. got, and it's it's humbling. It's very humbling to realize that like you can't control these things, and your kids' health you can't protect. And well, I know Leslie was on a group text with Lindsay, and um, I was on a group text with you. And I know your church kind of surrounded you immediately. One of the things I always think in moments like that is, how do people do this without church? No kidding. Uh, I mean, I really do think. It's one of the. It's one Rachel Held Evans said. Like, man, who's going to bring me casseroles? Yep. You know, like there really is a sacramental thing that happens that only the people of God can do. Uh, I, I think, um, and I, I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, just to knowing that there are tons of people who are there to help yeah. and there to support you. Uh, we have uh, a neighbor who's going through cancer and we find out about it. Hey, yeah, we're going in this week to the, for the procedure. And I said, I text, Hey, when can we bring you dinner? And they go, our, our church has got us dinner for the next two weeks already booked. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> cool. I, I love the fact that like church can yeah. be a tangible mean of grace with meals and potlucks and all, like all the that's casserole right. stuff. Like that's, it's grace. Hey, this is the tradition of Jesus, right? Bring them food. I mean, like you can't read the gospels without getting hungry. It's so true. So true. Well, so that, that I'm I'm very glad that it it turned out for you, and also me and you have been in a lot of rooms where with families where it didn't turn out that way, and uh, I'm I'm just grateful for Audrey and you and Lindsay and yep. um and you got a new book coming out. The theme of this month's interviews <laughs> have been your book. <laughs> I didn't. Well. <laughs> I think you should take notice from Craig Rochelle, first of all, to work out more, uh, and I'm second sure. of all, to be more nice about my book. I feel like those two things you could learn from. I feel like Craig Rochelle is going to be a frequent podcast he, guest He's now. welcome back anytime he wants. Uh, he's, he's got the, the bat signal. He throws it up. We're going to Oklahoma. We're going to do this in person next time, because he's so nice about the book. You have uh, Fate on the front end, mm-hmm. who just... For, ends the show by calling you a Nazi <laughs> in front of your church people. What did you think about him saying, hey, how, how, how do your elders do? Do they uh, put you at the kids' table? He asked me that in front of my elders. Fate, what's up, man? I think it was a suggestion. <laughs> That's wrong. That's wrong. Um, uh, and, then, and then you're you know, bookending it with me also, making fun of you. So all the people in the middle said wonderful things about you and mm-hmm. their expectations for your book. <laughs> did I talk about it with everyone? Austin? Oh, yeah. Everyone? Oh, yeah. Did it come up with... It, it comes up <laughs> way... I mean, <laughs> if it was bingo game, it's it, <laughs> if you're playing a newsworthy bingo game, <laughs> it's a gimme. It's the center. <laughs> God over good. Hey, uh, October 2nd. Here's the thing, friends. If you just all go out and pre-order five copies of this, then I'll stop. Like, I just won't mention any more. It's simple as that. Just five copies. We've given you so much love in the podcast, along with whatever Jonathan has given you with his cynicism. And 
I know you love the love, and so there's more love in the book for you. So, like, that's an easy solution. Just go five copies, everyone. So you're mailing it. I gave The address I gave you, I think, was it's my childhood home. We are remodeling my childhood home right now. Wow. Five acres out in Benton. Um, so it, uh, that was a surreal moment for you texting my address. Was it really? To, yeah, it was. Is it, in a lot of ways, it's like your dream come true that you still have a Superman-painted bedroom to sleep in. <laughs> the paint color. So funny you said that. The paint color we picked was Krypton. That's what it's called. Oh, my. Yep. So <sighs> living the dream, man. Living the Krypton. dream. Krypton. Doesn't that just des- doesn't that destroy Superman though? Kryptonite, Kryptonite destroys Superman. Kryptonite is his home planet. That, huh, to you, yeah. We we can talk about this off mic. No, we don't have to. I get disappointed That's okay. when we whenever you bring up super. You know what you you are you're like Jim and Dwight to me. When he starts like mixing up Harry Potter and mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing to mm-hmm. me, isn't it? No, no that's, that's not true, man. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah. I think as long... When, I, do you think you should have like that, uh, the thing that Superman puts on his chest that gives him the energy that keeps him going? The sun gives him it. No, like he's got that thing in the first one where he, like his heart is ripped out and then they, <laughs> then he has to build that in the, in the cave. Oh. Isn't that how that works? Yeah, no, that's exactly how it works. Okay. And then when he gets mad and turns green, yeah. it's the but worst. But I think it's those, like the things that shoot out of his hands, the clotonium, see, I'm not... No, you're nailing it. Yeah, you're just, nailing it. I was trying to get a Wolverine reference. I don't, okay, can we get back to the podcast, please? Yeah, let's, let's talk about fate. Okay. What a good dude. He is. He's a good man. Fate. I think we watched a super... What movie did we watch? I don't know what we watched together. Anyway. Uh, no, we watched Mission Impossible. That's not a superhero movie, is it? One of the things I'm excited about being in Little Rock again is for a, a really long time, I've known that part of what it meant for me to be a Christian was live out the specific repentance of my own kind of racism. Mm-hmm. And... For me, like I've I I've never really if I I've taken implicit bias test, but my biases are always towards black people. Um, so in in Texas, often there's a a bias between like Hispanics and white people, and I I haven't had that. Um, but part of part of what I'm excited about living in Little Rock is uh, since I've been gone the last 16 years the area, the church that I'm working at now, Pleasant Valley uh, the area around that has gotten significantly more black hmm. and it, yeah, it's really exciting and really cool to get to um, work on this specific thing that I've always had a strong passion for so hearing, here's what I thought when I was listening to Fate when you asked him to do some of his, uh, the difference between white churches and black churches. First off, his thing on uh, what black Christians think about white churches, it's so boring. <laughs> Maybe that's why they only go one hour. <laughs> so that's funny. But his thing on, do you remember like uh, for a while there were churches that thought clapping was a sin? Yes. Yes. 
Do you ever consider that as like a a racial line before? No, never connected that. Yeah, and his thing on like, I would say to, well, we want white churches to know about black Christians that we think our emotions belong to God too. Mm. Man, that is a word that a lot of white Christians need. Do you know what I mean? That uh, people from European descent, you know, when when somebody is uh, moving or swaying or, or his example of of doing, you know, doing some riffs on a song. I know, I know, some white people would say, "Well, that that's showy," yeah. or "You're doing that for show," or whatever. And and when you're making those kind of judgments, you're saying a lot more about yourself than you are the other person. Yep. You know, we it's been very easy for us to judge others' performance in worship as though it is like entertainment, uh-huh. but we never go. Well, what about the flip side of that? Like, if you're if they're just you know whoever they are is just performing or trying to entertain. What are you trying to do? Are, are you trying to show that like you're disengaged, that this isn't important to you, that you don't care enough? And mm-hmm. I, I've never thought of clapping as a as a racial thing, but when it's predominantly not in the white community and it's more in other communities, it would be hard for you to go, huh? There isn't some connection. Maybe it's a subterranean connection that we're not willing to overtly connect the dots on. But yeah, there's something to it. Well, I, I, it's probably, I mean, part of it is that we just don't ever think at that level. But like, you know, Fate was saying, man, this is, some of this is from Africa. You know, this is, some of this is just like traces back to that. And, um, you know. What, have you ever preached at a predominantly black church before? Uh, yes, but, and it was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. right? Have you? No. I'm preaching at uh, Fade's Church probably in the spring sometime, uh, but I think that'll be the first time at a predominantly black church. Man, it is fun. Uh, so there, there is not so much gap between what you are doing and wondering what they are thinking. Yeah, like in my Thursday lunch group are like, the white church equivalent of the amens during the sermon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you yeah. thought about discussing this and like, yeah. So that's how you get the feel for where it's landing and where the spirit's going. Yeah. And it can go the other way. You know, that's not my Bible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, the, but yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And what, one of the, uh, Josh Jackson, you know, church Christ mm-hmm. minister, friend of ours, he said, uh, you know, I think he, if I'm quoting him right, he said, well, we're keeping things real. Yep. You know, like, um, yep. anyway, I, I loved listening in on that. And I, fate, I, I feel like every time I hear fate talk, I always learn something else because he's not, you know, generalizing this is how every, every black person or predominantly black church is. But he's done some deep thinking, like on black black rage, yep. right? One of the things that I hadn't considered before is that a lot of we I've heard the distinction like, well, the problem, white guilt and white fear are going to keep us from reconciliation, and black rage are going to keep us from reconciliation. I've heard that from Jerry Taylor, 
But one of the things I heard in his thing is a lot of what's behind black rage is also fear. You know, like if you grow up and some guy on a horse is, you know, trying to beat you up just because you're skin color and you're a little boy and you're always having to be on the lookout or not feeling safe. Yeah. You know, we're recording this video decades at, on the day of the anniversary of decades before Emmett Till was lynched today. Hmm. Um, this is the anniversary of that. And I have a dream speech and here in, uh, you, you guys even meant mentioned lynching, but I think one of the ways that white Christians could just get, real deep, real quick with some of their um, black Christian friends is just asking the, the question about lynching. Like, how, have you ever seen anybody? Because I know people who are in their 40s and 50s who have seen uh, um, or they stumbled onto a town that said, if you're here after dark, we will. You yeah. know, like his thing on avoiding Mississippi. Yeah. No offense, Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't got that advice from my dad. No, different, different advice. No. It, it, you got to listen. You got to hear experiences of other people. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to connect faith conversation and okay, white church seems like it's only an hour because it's boring. Like, which would be the caricature of what white church is, and faith would be the first to say that's not fair. And then right. you connect it with the. The conversation that Aaron Nequist is having about bringing in, uh, to use his metaphor, like a more balanced diet and bringing in the other parts of worship and the liturgical components that, I mean, everyone has liturgy, but the more liturgical, more formalized, more ritualized sort of uh, worship gatherings. And I don't know if it's fair to say, but it seems like there's a lot of, that leans strongly towards educated white people. And I know this is your sweet mm. spot, Jonathan. I know you you love talking about this. You're tossing me this up is, a softball, you're welcome. Are you? welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I do think uh, friend of the show, but more a friend of mine, Scott McNutt, <laughs> says that you have <laughs> says says that you have to quit if you have. What kind of gospel are you preaching? Because you can tell it. Not just by the words you say, but by the people that it, yeah. the community it creates. And uh, one of the things, there's always going to be a, a group of people that you're overlooking. Just make sure it's not people on the margins. Like, you know, does yeah. that make sense? Like, uh, does your community have poor people in it? If it does, good. That's a great step. Jesus cared a lot about that. Um, you know, those kind of things. Um, because Carolyn Custis James has this bit where she talks about how even our definitions of justice become the, the kind of ideas we have about it and the questions we ask about what's right and wrong. If you are all the same kind of person with the same kind of privileges, you, your idea of what it looks like uh, to, ha to have uh, – Justice is going to be uh, – it, it'll be mm -hmm. off. It won't be, it won't be justice for all. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think there's a – I think there's something to adding more components to the 
worship gatherings. And I think the balanced diet, I, I think I even talked about this with Aaron Equus, which is a conversation I think you and I have had of hearing like the big evangelical pop, like popular mega church talking about them incorporating more liturgy is a conversation that's kind of different from where we're coming from as two Church of Christ guys. Right. Oh, yeah, you did. I, I appreciated that, too. You know, the um, we're, we're not we're not uh, we're not dealing with the same kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. But I, I do I do see a lot of Church of Christ people reacting to the evangelical world as if they grew up in it. So maybe they did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't. The conversation that Aaron first kind of broached the subject was with uh, Jonathan Merritt. Uh, Jason Miller and Annie Downs, and all of them are parts of like mega mega churches, right. and they all needed to hear something different because that's the opposite of what they had. Whereas what you and I grew up with was nothing like that. I mean, it was just it's different. Yeah, I grew up with a Down syndrome boy leading worship every Sunday and Wednesday. I mean, my my take on worship stuff and mm-hmm. and we we did in that book songs of the church remember they had they had several mournful songs like night with Eben pinion <laughs> i don't remember that one. Oh man it is a aaron nequist as a four would lose i mean he would love, love just get on song, sad yeah. get on the sadness okay speaking of sadness let's talk about doubt and i so austin <laughs> fisher what Austin? No, that's, like that's transition. Good. So, Austin mm-hmm. Fisher and Craig Rochelle both talk about doubts and questioning in each of their podcasts, and they both bring up the one scripture that you didn't add in your book. Why do you keep help? I do believe help help my unbelief. Okay, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna my review of the book that'll go to uh, Scott McKnight will be. You know, it just, it didn't, there was that one thing it didn't have. <laughs> um, that's, that's not, I look forward to reading your review of the book. Um, are you going to put it on McKnight's blog? I, I, I think yeah, I'll do should. that for how you, many, man. How many weeks? I feel like it, it deserves. I, I got to read it first. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I look forward to, I look forward to that. Um, yeah, I didn't have that verse. It'll be the most snarky book <laughs> review that I've ever written. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, uh, but yeah, I like that guy. I'd never heard really? of Austin. Yeah, and I love the the idea of uh, theological differences worked into their ministry yes. system. Yes, isn't that amazing? Like that they literally have... Uh, it was. The two main voices have differing... It's just, that's impressive. I really, really like that. Yeah. Uh, I do too. I, I like it a lot. It actually strikes me as rather Church of Christ. It it seems very inefficient and unhelpful. Like there's no way that you could have. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't say that. that. I didn't say that's Church of Christ. So... <laughs> you connected that. That's not what I'm saying. It's, no, I, you said it after I. Said you assume that I ever listened to you. You assume I listened to you. I'm not listening to you. It seems inefficient because you have like on substantial issues two different ways of reading it, but. That's well. That's my point. Alexander Campbell and Barton mm-hmm. Stone had enough differences theologically; it would split most movements, and they came together and started one. 
but what it does is it puts you back into the wider the wider vast ocean of Christianity. And in, instead of having this own little pond that you're you're swimming in by yourself, it says, "Hey, there's a whole lot more out there and it's not just about you." And unfortunately, when you have the univocal teaching perspective, when you have everyone who's doing yeah. the teaching having the same like reading the same books and having the same type of education, you don't get that. And then so all of a sudden you start to think of us versus them because those are people you don't know and they're unfamiliar to you and you don't know someone who's a Calvinist. And so you can have this caricature of how bad they are. And you can't do that when when they're working side by side. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, I mean, we work well mm-hmm. together. Christian and then you. and Someone who follows Jesus <laughs> and someone who's Jonathan. So yeah, I mean, we can make that work. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like you just totally belittled your own point just now. You can't hey, do that when you're working Jonathan, side Jonathan, I didn't make you belittle. That was your parents. <laughs> <laughs> that was God's choice? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, oh, so dumb, welcome man. back to the podcast. I don't know why, yeah. and I quote from the letter... I don't know what they would refer to as unfamiliar humor, especially with Jonathan Storman. <laughs> but keep listening. It's like an addiction. That's good. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. So, uh, yeah, I, I really look forward to Austin's book. I think that's probably going to be a real groundbreaking book on Just doubt and being able to reconstruct your faith in light okay, of it. Enough, enough of that. You should, do, you should review his book on Scott's blog. What if I compare, compare and, and contrast like blue ribbon? <laughs> and then you just vote at the end, which one should you read? Austin Fisher's. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, so Craig Groeschel. Yeah, I've always been a fan of really? him from a distance. Why, why have you always been a fan? Yeah. Uh, I've heard him preach at Catalyst a couple of times. Um, you know, Life Church, mm-hmm. is that what he leads? Um, the, the, his stuff on leadership seemed more Christian than about leadership, hmm. and I appreciate that. Yeah, Does no, that make I, sense? I completely like, get it. I, I told my dad, I was like, I, I think that Craig Rochelle might be the most prominent person who's ever been on, on the podcast as a pastor. Like, his church is probably the biggest yeah. church that... Yeah, it's like, it, he's in like the Andy Stanley League, you know what I mean? Well, um, maybe I'll just get him on the podcast next month then. If we're all about competing, we're not. Yeah, good luck with that. Okay, I heard that. The um, what my point was that Life Church is. I don't. How big is that church? It's huge, right? Oh, well, there's like yeah. a lot of them. I mean, it's and so, okay. Everywhere. So if you're at a church that big, and in in some ways they've they've been on the vanguard of kind of like the franchise model of church where you go to a new town, you set up, you do five basic things that each of these life churches is going to do. Pipe in Craig. There's a strong centralized like leadership of exactly how it goes. And one of the things that he talked about in the book is about like sitcom preaching where it's like, here's a problem, here's a resolution and everyone's better for the end at the end of it in, in 22 minutes or 30 minutes. And there's a, there's kind of some cynicism in me that makes you think, okay, if this is what you're doing, like, 
sitcom preaching would thrive in an environment where you have like these franchise models of churches. They just go out and they do the same thing and everyone looks exactly the same all across the world. And so I had a little bit of cynicism. And so I was extremely surprised um, with like his level of honesty and depth and willingness to engage on very substantial levels. And I, like, yeah. I was like, man, this guy's great. And so I, I became a Craig Groeschel fan during the podcast. I, I've, and and he's, I mean, he, he's squarely in line with the kind of stuff you're doing. You know, I mean, like God to, to do, to do, to do, to follow Jesus does not mean it's always rainbows and puppies. You know, the, the kind of sorrow and lament stuff. I mean, it, that, it, it was, uh, it was surprising, that part of it. And I, I feel like somebody that's a, a big leader in the evangelical world could make probably a bigger difference than any any of Agreed. us on the Agreed. outside, you know, like, uh, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised that, cause I, I feel like so many people on the outside already do a lot of lament. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people who grew up in the evangelical world and like they're, they've started the practice, they're doing half their songs or mm-hmm. that. And, and this was a, more an example of somebody who's leading it from the inside. Yeah, instead of being actually. post-evangelical or ex-evangelical or someone who's kind of right, right. drifting away. Yeah, that's and what I mean. Saying, uh, I mean, he... It, yeah. I mean, he's one of the, like you said, the, the most prominent voices in the evangelical movement right now. And he's obviously leading leaders. That's his thing. And I, I think part of my skepticism is that I'm... Like, I'm always uncomfortable with leadership talk because it seems... Like you said, it seems like it's more leadership than discipleship. It seems like it's more like, oh, we're going to be Tony Robbins than instead of like being like Jesus. And maybe that's why I, my own issues caused me to wonder like how this conversation is going to go and what he's willing to do. Because that's not at all what he was doing. And I, w- I was like that really? with Andy Stanley. I mean, yeah, for just because it was a, a real big church and he was, you know, sometimes on the TV and uh, stuff and I just... I had a category, preachers, you know, and um, the first sermon I heard him preach, I thought, well, yeah, it was good, but still, he sold his soul. <laughs> and then, and then the, you know, I listened to a series and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to use still- some of that, but it's still, yeah. you know, and then, you know, I feel like, uh, may, I don't know, maybe it's Churches of Christ and coming yeah. from small churches and just being suspicious of and anything suspicious large. Suspicious could also but, be described as jealous to some degree. That and oh no, yeah. Well, there there is there because it's easy that. to to write someone off instead of going, oh wow, that person's having a very fruitful like from a stereotypical definite American definition of how Christianity is supposed to look. I mean, it's very successful, and anyway, yeah, so yeah. there's a lot. Of, but I mean, part of it's just town. Like those guys, God has given no. them great leadership gifts, communication mm-hmm. gifts. I agree. You know? I agree. Uh, one of the lines I loved that he referenced actually came from his wife, not not from him. But instead of talking about suffering as enduring suffering, but embracing suffering. I thought that's a that's a great oh, right. difference yeah. which I'm definitely going to rip off that often I think of like I'm just going to endure this, get through it and get on the other side and it'll be better. But embracing that God is in this. That's that's a very helpful insight and um, he's onto something. One of the things that both Austin and Craig brought up with Austin, it came up 
by people in the church will sometimes ask for uh, the Calvinist pastor if in the moment of suffering they want to hear that yeah. the Calvinist, you know, the sovereignty of God, or they'll ask for the other pastor if they're wanting to hear, mm-hmm. you know, open theism or whatever it is. Uh, and he, his thing on how do you want me yeah. to pray? Uh, that's a good way of being like, which one yeah, of do you those want do? do you want? Yeah. And it might also be that he's yeah. an Enneagram but, three, and that's a question that every Enneagram three just asks whenever I go to the <laughs> room. True. But regardless of where it comes, no, from, we know it. We just know. Yeah, we know how. Yeah, that's right. Sure, you can you read the do. room. He's he's so, right though. Ministry is like figuring out which wire to cut on the bomb to make it not go off. Jeez, that's terrible. That is so bad. That is so bad. Such a three thing to say. I'm saying that to say, like, there, you know, what, what the impulse behind, and he said this when you were a younger pastor, I wanted to use words to do it, to, like, help in that situation. The impulse is because the one thing that will get people through suffering is meaning. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Victor Frankel, you can do any what mm-hmm. if you know the why. And, uh, the Christian tradition has great resources for that, but it feels like if you if you try to offer those prematurely or in the moment, or even do anything besides just offer some breadcrumbs to help maybe point people in a direction later yep. on, then you know it can be spiritual malpractice. Yeah. His line about God's working good in this, but you don't have the authority to speak that into someone else's life. They're going to be the one who has to connect the uh-huh. dots, and so they're going to be the ones that have to pick up those breadcrumbs and get to that conclusion. I don't need someone to sit sit next to me when I'm in the oncology floor, sit next to my four year old, and go, "Hey, God's going to make some good out of this." Like that's no one's job is to do that. Like I, I don't want someone to do that. But yeah, maybe the reason that we use words in those moments is because we don't trust God enough. Wow. Tell me more about that. You know, like, I feel like you just Don McLaughlin me. Um, that God, God is at work. God is going to reveal himself to be at work to these people in due time. And we're trying to rush the process. Um, and you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, I get that. That makes sense. Hmm. I mean, pastors especially, words is how we control things often. Yeah. And the ministry of presence is one of those things that trumps what our words can do. To sit there, to be present, to carry someone's weight, uh, of the weight of their grief, their disappointment, their shame, whatever it is, just to sit there and be present with it is far more... It's far more costly, though. Like, Mm -hmm. you can say words pretty cheaply especially if you're competent and it's what you do for a living, but to sit and to be present. And and that's not exclusive to someone who isn't a paid pastor. It's not someone who has to go to seminar to do that. It's someone who is willing to create that bandwidth where someone else can put their, their grief and their hurt onto that per, their own shoulders and you can carry that for someone. That's, we, we can all do it. We all have the invitation to it. It just costs us all a whole lot. And mm. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, you didn't. the next time I talk to you or do this wrap up, you will be days away hmm. 
from your book being released. Yeah, that's that's very true. Do you want to know what it's? And, do you want to know what it's like to be a seven? Is that I started working on book number three the other day. What? Yeah, like I like I, I figured. I think I know what I'm going to write about for my third book. So do you really? I think so. Yeah, like I. I think so. I think I got something. That's what it's like to be a three. It's not, it's uh, talk, seven. Have you already finished two? <clears throat> I've got a lot of it done. Like I'm going through the second round of it. Um, so yeah, that's what it's like to be a seven. Like there's just a ton of stuff out there that I, I'm just jumping ahead. Do you, do you finish things well? Yes. Yes, I, uh, do you fin- yes, I finish things. Is that, is that a thing that sevens don't do though? They don't finish? Oh, yeah, that actually is a very typical. I thought you were just okay. Enneagram. Copy no, and I, I was me. trying to figure. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I, I could do that, mm-hmm. but but, okay. but yes, I will be mere days away from the release. Now, for those of you who pre-ordered, there will actually be a special incentive that will be available soon, which is a podcast, among other things, where I'm interviewing myself about specific quotes in the book. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, that's a disincentive. <laughs> Jonathan, that's not how this is supposed to work. Okay, first off, I didn't know I was stumbling into a promo. <laughs> you brought it up. I wasn't going to talk about it. I. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're like Jeremiah. It's a fire in your bones. You can't not talk about it. Can you imagine how bad this would be if I was a, a three? Like, if, if this is what I'm doing. Oh, no, it would be way better if you're a three. You do, you'd be so much better at self-promotion without people thinking you were doing self-promotion. Oh, because I would like, be being dishonest about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a book. Who would have thought that? It just happens to be in the background of this picture. I wonder if we ask, okay, everybody, would you like humble brag or straight up brag? Which one would it go? Which one would they go with? May, I, they might go with straight up brag. I think, okay, this is and the problem. you, sir, in that case, would win. This is the problem with humble brags. What makes it worse, what makes it so villainous is because you pretend like you're not a villain. At least when you're like real bragging, which I'm not doing, I'm just talking about a book <laughs> that, I, that matters a lot to me, I believe in, is you're being honest. Like be honest as a human being. It was it your promotional person? <laughs> like the reason you need to talk about it so much, this is the spiel, right? You, you believe in this, right? Jonathan. Okay. I didn't just turn like a sermon series into a book. Like I, I put my my soul into this. And so that's, that's why I care about it. Anyway, what, what would you like to make fun of now, Jonathan? I mean, I know you've been saving uh, up. For I want to hear the podcast. <coughs> I want to hear about you interviewing yourself and I'm assuming there's some mirrors involved. No, what actually happened was I was making a video. Podcast, I was, please. I already recorded. I wasn't planning on interviewing myself, but my daughter came in and she s- said something. I thought, Oh, let's just riff with this. And so I went with it. And anyway, Pre-order, and that incentive will, will be available soon. So do that. Anyway, whatever. Leave me alone, Jonathan. Man, I hope it goes really well. I hope you enjoy the rollout. And um, how's your fall going at Westover? It's good. It's going well. Cool. Yeah, it's good. It's. I, 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 I'm honestly asking. I wasn't trying to make a joke. It, it, it literally is going well. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff kind of in our family going on right now. We've got some sick people and um kids back at school and just you know falls are busy for a lot of people including us yeah and so that's um that's what's going on well we're living in boxes mm-hmm. and in a 
parsonage of another church. That's awesome. With a family of seven. Mm. It's pretty pretty tight quarters. But getting to be around my family a lot, and that's good. That's nice. How long yeah. how long till you get into the old uh kryptonite house? Uh but next time next time wrap up rolls around, okay. we should be in there with all our stuff. Our stuff's in storage in Abilene still. <laughs> so that's oh, nice. Mm. I keep wearing the same five outfits to work. Just get a couple of black V-necks and you'll be good to go. It's true. That's what you should get do. Steve Jobs this thing. Do it. Do it. Well, Jonathan. It's, it's coming up next month. Uh, who's coming up next month? Uh, we've got, I, d- I did one, a live podcast with Jonathan Merritt across the street at the St. Matthew's Episcopal Church uh, that we recorded earlier this week. So me and my friend Merrill Wade interviewed him. And so we've got that one. We, uh... We got a couple more. We're we're gonna keep you surprised. Keep you guessing on them, though. Okay, cool. Which means we haven't worked out the details yet. No, I've I've got some stuff for you. Oh, there! It's in the can already. None of your business. I don't feel like you deserve it at this point. You haven't earned earned that. What? You haven't. You were disrespectful. You were rude to me. (laughs) You were disrespectful about the guests that we can have on the podcast, and that hurts my feelings. Okay, can you get Andy Stanley? If I have you already done a podcast with Andy Stanley. Wants Andy and Luke to talk, then the Lord will make that happen. Who am I to okay. intercede? Stop that. Uh, I, will be, I will be very impressed if you've got a podcast with Andy Stanley. You know what I'll be impressed? Is if you're nice. That's what will impress me about you. If you just give me a genuine nice person. To you? To anyone. Oh. Ugh. All right. Well, it was a good month, man. Good having you back, Jonathan. You too, man. See you, dude. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.